everyone. Welcome back to Historical for another episode of Words That Shape the World. If you're listening to this as it's released, you may have noticed that today is, in fact, Wednesday, not Tuesday. And that's because today's episode marks Historical's first birthday. Today's story is also a special one because it epitomizes everything we're about. It's weird, it's quirky, and it's at least mostly true. So thank you for being with us. Please subscribe, leave us your ratings and reviews, and stay with us for another year of stories that shape the world. For now, we're celebrating with the English-born South African who became Emperor of the United States. Okay, so a small disclaimer. I did just use two terms incorrectly in pretty quick succession. Became is maybe a loose way of putting it. Made himself would be more accurate, but we're not here to split hairs. Also, claiming Emperor Norton as South African is a bit strong, but I'm South African and that's what we do. If anyone spends a minute more than 12 months on our turf and then goes on to do anything remotely cool, like, as a completely random example, write the Lord of the Rings, we claim them forever. Joshua Norton was born in England in fairly inconspicuous circumstances, most likely somewhere in London. The circumstances were so inconspicuous, in fact, that nobody seems to have made much note of it. So the exact date and place of his birth are quite tricky to fix. Of course, nobody knew that he would grow up to be a king, or they might have made a bit more effort to preserve these things, and we'd probably be able to sell his childhood scribbles for a fortune. The most accurate guess is that he was born on February 4th, 1818, which is not what it says on his grave. When he was about two-ish, his parents moved to South Africa as part of the government-organized colonization group who came to be known as the 1820 Settlers. The family expanded rapidly, as families in the 1800s were wont to do, and Joshua and his older brother soon had 10 additional siblings, which incidentally is enough to play lacrosse or three-sided polo. As with his early years in England, not much is known about this period of Joshua's life, except that his father did rather well and then began to do rather badly. By the time Joseph Norton died, he had lost his wife, his other two sons, and most of his money. Whatever he may have felt about this, Joshua Norton, now the only surviving son, was not around to see it. At some point in 1845, he departed South Africa for Liverpool, and over the course of the next few years, made his way to San Francisco. If anyone on the various boats had known that they were bunking with the first and probably only emperor of the United States, they might have been able to while away the time taking notes for his biography. But unfortunately, one can't have everything. As it stands, there are a great many stories about Norton's route, most of which are righteously emphatic and thoroughly unsubstantiated. The long and short of it is, we don't really know quite how he got there, or when, or really why. But by June 1850, Joshua Norton was advertising his new business in the local San Franciscan newspapers. Looking at them with a 21st century eye, these adverts aren't really anything to write home about, but something must have done the trick because by late 1852, his import and real estate business had made him a rich and highly respected man. He seems to have had a seat at all the right tables, was on all the right committees, and had a membership to all the right clubs. And, and I cannot stress just how rare this is in the realm of pseudo-royalty, he seems to have been quite unanimously well-liked. By all accounts, he was a thoroughly decent guy. Unfortunately, as the old adage goes, 
Too many gift horses spoil the nice guy. And at the end of that year, Norton made a catastrophic mistake. Because of famine in China, the price of rice had gone up by about 900%, and Norton was offered a business opportunity, air quotes implied, to buy a cheap shipload of Peruvian rice from a boat in the San Francisco harbor. He signed the contract, but the very next day, boats began streaming into the harbor, all carrying Peruvian rice. With too much rice, all of it better quality than his, and frankly, only so many people to eat it, the price of rice plummeted. Norton spent two years enmeshed in a nightmare of litigation and debt, but there was no getting out of the contract. By 1856, he'd had to file for insolvency. As his business fell into ruin, Norton faded into the background and took up residence in a single room in a rather dingy boarding house. It becomes increasingly hard to find any trace of him in the public record over the next three years. But when he returns, there are no half measures. On the 17th of September, 1859, the San Francisco Daily Evening Bulletin, alongside its usual business of the day, contained the following small announcement. The world is full of queer people. This forenoon, a well-dressed and serious-looking man entered our office and quietly left the following document, which he respectfully requested we would examine and insert in the bulletin. He politely retired without saying anything further. Here it is. At the peremptory request and desire of a large majority of the citizens of these United States, I, Joshua Norton, formerly of Algoa Bay, Cape of Good Hope, and now for the last nine years and ten months past of San Francisco, California, declare and proclaim myself Emperor of these United States. And in virtue of the authority thereby in me vested, do hereby order and direct the representatives of the different states of the Union to assemble in musical hall of this city on the first day of February next, then and there to make such alterations in the existing laws of the Union as may ameliorate the evils under which the country is laboring, and thereby cause confidence to exist both at home and abroad in our stability and integrity. Signed, Norton I, Emperor of the United States. Exactly what happened to cause an otherwise ordinary man to declare himself king seemingly out of the blue, nobody really knows. Some historians think the signs were always there, others that he was under such mental strain as a result of his financial calamities that he suffered some kind of breakdown. Personally, I like the way travel documentarian Timothy Levitch puts it. Some say he'd gone mad, others say he'd gone wise. Indeed, many of his proclamations were wise beyond the times. He insisted on fair treatment and legal protection for immigrants and minority groups, demanded that African Americans be given equal education and civil liberties, commanded that Asian Americans and Asian immigrants be allowed to testify in court, and was a staunch supporter of women's right to vote. As a whole, though, Emperor Norton was something of an enigma. He spent the rest of his 21-year reign, slash life, living in poverty in his small room, subsisting largely off of charity, which, possibly for the sake of his pride, he called taxes. He had a strong sense of his own self-appointed position, and he potted about the streets of San Francisco in a military uniform donated to him by the local army base, and which he adorned with gold epaulettes and an ostrich-feathered hat on special occasions. He issued regular proclamations in the San Francisco newspapers, 
most of which were eagerly consumed and then cheerfully ignored. He spent every morning in deep perusal of the leading newspapers and took himself to the library most afternoons where he either continued his reading, wrote his proclamations, or played chess. He stayed up to date with public lectures and regularly attended the proceedings of the state legislature in Sacramento. Despite the fact that he had no political or any other kind of power whatsoever, San Franciscans took him to heart and he became something of a living local treasure. There was no irony in his actions. He believed that he was king and they let him. As Robert Louis Stevenson's stepdaughter wrote, he was a gentle and kindly man and fortunately found himself in the friendliest and most sentimental city in the world. The idea being, let him be emperor if he wants to. San Francisco played the game with him. In fact, San Francisco played the game so thoroughly that they let him have his own money. To supplement the charity he received, he took to printing his own currency in the form of promissory notes, which were accepted at a surprisingly large number of establishments. Today, very few of these scripts still exist, and if you do come across one, it'll set you back by more than $10,000. But Emperor Norton was more than just tolerated or gently humoured. He was loved. He spent his days patrolling the streets, interacting with locals, and hearing their trials and grievances. His proclamations weren't limited to lofty matters of state. If people on his regular rounds complained about the state of the cabs or litter on the streets or the cost of taxes, he issued proclamations about those things too. Legend has it that little children in need of cheering up were issued a patent of nobility, making them queen or king for the day. And in the summer of 1864, a young journalist called Samuel Langhorn Clemens was one of his most sympathetic observers. In fact, Samuel was so taken by the emperor that he modelled a character after him in his rather well-known book, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn. Naturally, questions about Norton's sanity, and in some cases, certainties about it, abounded. But such was his charm that for the most part, nobody really bothered too much about it. When an overzealous policeman arrested him for lunacy in 1867, the community and the newspapers flew into an outrage. The bulletin wrote, In what can only be described as the most dastardly of errors, Joshua A. Norton was arrested today. He is being held on the ludicrous charge of lunacy. Known and loved by all true San Franciscans as Emperor Norton, this kindly monarch of Montgomery Street is less a lunatic than those who have engineered these trumped-up charges. As they will learn, his majesty's loyal subjects are fully apprised of this outrage. The Daily Alter was, if possible, even more indignant. Norton was, in his day, a respectable merchant, and since he has worn the imperial purple, he has shed no blood, robbed nobody, and despoiled the country of no one, which is more than can be said of any of his fellows in that line. The emperor was duly released, and issued the police officer with a royal pardon. For the rest of his life, policemen saluted him when they passed him on the street. 
Thank you for joining this episode of Historical. If you enjoyed yourself, please head over to your streaming platform of choice, subscribe so that you never miss another episode, and leave us a rating and review so that we can continue to tell cool stories. You can also come and find us on Instagram and Twitter at historical underscore podcast and join the Facebook group, which is an excellent place to tell us which words you'd like to hear next. Join us again for more words that shape the world every Tuesday.